Welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. So Mark, it was recently your birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. What did you do for it? Well, I went to lunch with you mm-hmm. on my actual birthday, mm-hmm. which was very nice. We went to Bistecca. Yeah. You we me- had the candle. You bought me a steak. We ate the candle. Um, you forced me to drink red wine. So <laughs> was that just awful for you? No, it was it was, it was great. And okay. <laughs> it was very generous. It was very generous of you. So thank you very much. And then I had a couple friends show up at the pub the next day. And we were laughing about this before. One of my friends gave me a recycled card. Mm. Now, not recycled as in the materials to make it were recycled. She literally crossed out her name. And wrote yours. And wrote my name as a card to her <laughs> and then crossed out her mother and father-in-law's name and put her name and her husband's name in. Thoughtful. Yeah. Thoughtful is not exactly how I describe <laughs> it. But somebody asked me if she was really environmentally conscious. I was like, no, <laughs> no. just lazy. But anyway, we're not going to talk about my birthday today because it's depressing. We are going to talk about active and passively managed funds, Shawnee. So we've done a few episodes on them. But today we want to focus on new research conducted by Morningstar that looks at why active managers underperform. And the purpose of this research is to identify common characteristics of underperformance. And from that, investors can hopefully garner insights that they can put into use when picking active managers. That's right, Mark. One of the largest ongoing debates in investing is whether investors should go for active or passive management when investing in funds. In the recent past, we've seen investors vote with their funds and passive has had major inflows compared to active funds. And Overall, active managers still hold a larger piece of the pie, but passive funds are gaining quickly on their active counterparts. And in fact, if we look at the US, passive equity fund ownership is already the majority, with funds under management passing the halfway mark at the beginning of 2022. So you gave us a great introduction to the report, but it's worth mentioning that the research conducted focuses on the underperformance of active managers in a particular sector, US large growth. Although it focuses in on this one sector, there are lessons we can take from this report that applies to all sectors when choosing active management. And recently, Passive has proven its competitiveness through superior returns in large growth. Four equities in particular, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, and Alphabet, have provided eye-watering returns since the end of the GFC. All right, Mark, you always make me do the numbers, so let's split. Because you're smarter than me. (laughs) Reciting numbers? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, So let's split these in half. From 1 January 2009 to 4 April 2023, Apple has returned 5,351%. Alphabet has returned 1,256%. Amazon has returned 3,895%. And Microsoft has returned 1,562%. And the S&P has earned a 356% return in the same period. So if we look at the cumulative return prior to the most recent downturn, the four stocks hit 1,000% growth at the beginning of 2022. At the same time, the Russell 1000 had just cracked 400%. 
Their inclusion or exclusion in funds have largely determined large growth fund performance relative to their indexes. And it seems a conventional wisdom has now become that capturing the average through passive funds and ETFs is better value for an investor. Contributing heavily to the school of thought is that investors typically have paid high fees to active managers. This is, an unnece- this is an unnecessary drag on returns. So Shani, is this the case? Is it the only contributing factor or are there others? All right, so let's dive into the research then and we can pick out a few lessons for investors that we've coupled with context from the active passive barometer research. So we touched on one of the perceived culprits of active management underperformance and that's fees. And the report looked at the impact of fees from 2013 to 2022. Higher fee funds tended to do worse. Of the funds that beat the index, two-thirds charged below average fees, proving that fees were definitely a headwind for active managers. And as investors became more cost-conscious and there were more active managers competing against each other, the fees were brought down. Asset managers have slashed the price of their typical actively managed large growth fund by nearly 40% over the past two decades. So as Shani said, the report declares that fees were definitely a headwind, but not the root cause of lackluster results. They can see this by looking at the before fee returns over the past decade, which also struggle to compete against the index. What the report also found was that the success rate of actively managed funds in this space had become less successful over time. From 2000 to 2010, 60% or more of them often beat the index over a given five-year period. In 2022, less than one-fourth of active funds have beaten the index over the trailing five-year period. And researchers say that this reflects an increasingly competitive market. The report from Morningstar states, it is tempting to conclude that managers have become inept due to the slide in measures of outperformance and success, but arguably the opposite is true. Just as it has gotten harder for individual runners and swimmers to differentiate themselves from their rivals as the average speed and skill levels of athletes has increased, it has become more difficult for highly educated, experienced, diligent, and well-resourced managers to beat their similarly endowed, seasoned, and motivated rivals. That was a mouthful, Mark. It was. It was. It offers another explanation that amateur investors are much less involved in direct equities and competition for alpha now happens primarily between highly sophisticated institutional investors that make large cap companies efficiently priced without space for investors to bag a mispriced opportunity. The other factor that a lot of professional investors blame is cash. Fund mandates stipulate permissible ranges for the allocation of assets. The curse of fund mandates is that some force fund managers to hold cash or offer the temptation of holding cash. For example, if we look at a passive S&P 500 ETF, it will be 100% U.S. equities. If we look at an active fund, the fund may be able to hold 80 to 100% equities and 0 to 20% cash. Some have even stricter mandates which handicap active managers, such as having a mandatory 10% cash holding. The logistics of operating an active fund mean that you will be holding cash. Having many investors also means that funds hold cash in anticipation of redemptions. This cash holding can handicap active managers' performance, especially in the bull market that we've experienced since the end of the GFC. But if this is true, then the opposite must be true as well, that active managers would have better relative results during bear markets where active managers can use cash to mitigate risks that the index can't avoid. What the report found was that the cash that active managers hold does hinder their upside, but that shouldn't explain long-term underperformance. 
Typically, they hold less than 2% cash. A hypothetical portfolio of a Russell 1000 growth tracking ETF and 4% cash rebalance monthly would still have done better than the category average and with less volatility. Morningstar Investor is built for investors by investors. It provides independent research and data on over 40,000 securities, tools to build and maintain an investment portfolio, and investor education resources to support you, regardless of where you are in your investing journey. Explore opportunities with our monthly global best ideas. Explore our ETF model portfolios. Plan better with two years of dividend forecasts for ASX-listed stocks. And stay informed with independent thought leadership. We've built tools to help you construct, monitor, and maintain your portfolio, including our Portfolio Manager, integrated with one of Australia's leading portfolio tracking tools, ShareSight. Morningstar has been empowering investor success for over 35 years. We're passionate about your outcomes and are here every step of the way as you achieve them. Take out a free four-week trial to access our resources. Find the details in the episode notes. Large growth managers' funds haven't offered much downside protection or milder risk profiles. In the last decade, the category average lost less than the Russell 1000 growth in only about half the occasions the benchmark dropped 10% or more. The category's median standard deviation has also exceeded the index. Most large growth managers embrace more volatile stocks that tend to fall harder in downturns. Controlling for other factors, such exposure hurt the fund's results as volatile stocks underperform the broad market during the decade. So cash is a headwind in some markets, but should not be blamed for underperformance when an index with cash can replicate the same conditions, but with better returns. All right, so we found that cash is not or should not be a contributor to underperformance, and fees were a headwind, but not the sole contributor. Where have active managers fallen down? Let's have a look at the other contributing factors. Well, the first is style, which nobody has ever accused me of having. (laughs) When we look at large growth stocks, they could be a headwind themselves. When we look at the period between 2013 and 2022, U.S. large growth cap stocks outperformed. However, active managers don't tend to invest solely in one particular style. Active large growth funds, for example, tend to own more stocks with lower earnings and growth expectations, cheaper valuations, smaller market caps, and greater international exposure than their benchmarks. This means that they perform differently to the benchmark, and if one particular style has performed better than others, that strategy can dilute returns. Okay, so let's just call this one out. Bad stock picking. So there's bad at their job. Yeah, basically. Yeah, well... (laughs) I think we're all aware of other people that are bad at their job too, right? Were you looking at me while you were saying that? Oh, I was talking about myself, Johnny. <laughs> Calm down. The report conducted risk-based attribution analysis of each active large growth fund style exposure, showing that actively managed funds tended to be more narrowly focused than the index on fast-growing companies with high price multiples and low dividend yields. They also tended to tilt towards smaller cap companies that did not provide any advantage over the last decade. The results were similarly mixed when international stocks outperformed the US. And the bottom line is that when the report controlled for fund style and sector exposures, our risk model suggests that a large amount of the large growth funds poor showing versus the benchmark was simply because of bad stock picking. The results cast a harsh light on active managers. 
There is a legitimate reason to consider cutting them some slack. The phenomenal results of a handful of huge benchmark constituents that have left stock pickers a few ways to beat the index. And again, we arrive at the four tech behemoths, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, and Alphabet. They're a one-third of the Russell 1000 gross 14% annualized gain from 2013 to 2022. And if we look at the U.S. specifically, the Investment Company Act of 1940 says that if mutual funds want to call themselves diversified, they can't have more than 25% of their assets in individual positions of 5% or more. Each of the four stocks account for more than 5% of the index. This means that even if these funds wanted to, it's extremely difficult for them to shatter the index to replicate these returns. And that just seems like a big argument for passive funds. Own the index and you'll get stellar returns. but Of course, there are risks. And the first is concentration. Company-specific risk is not endemic to the US. Australian markets face the same issue with the largest constituents in our stock market holding a huge piece of the pie. If we look at the S&P 500, the top 10 holdings make up over 27% of the index out of 500 stocks. If we look at the S&P ASX 200, it's over 46%, and that's as at 4th of April 2023. Even high-conviction active managers are concerned about the concentration and the risk that is embedded in the index. Then there's maintaining growth. Most companies that approach the size of these behemoths struggle to maintain the breakneck growth that they have experienced. It is difficult to sustain and maintain the innovation and keep competitors at bay. Without context, it seems like these companies have staying power. What we have seen over history is that a company's index dominance is often only temporary. Let's have a look at how an index, the Russell 1000 growth, has changed over 10-year periods. In 2002, the top 10 were General Electric, Microsoft, Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, Walmart, Intel, Cisco, Coke, Pepsi, and Merck. (laughs) In 2012, where was the leader? General Electric, not in the top 10. Seven of the holdings in 2012 were new entrants. Apple was ranked at the top of the leaderboard by market cap and didn't even make an appearance in 2002. And if we fast forward another 10 years to 2022, Apple maintained its top spot, but it's followed by Microsoft and Alphabet, both new to the top three. Amazon is four and wasn't in the top 10 in 2012. Again, seven of the top 10 companies are new to the top 10. What we're trying to show from this is that we always think that the companies with the highest market cap has staying power, but the past has shown us that this isn't true. And that's right, Johnny. We cannot guarantee that in the future, this will happen. In the past, however, underweighting these large stocks have helped diversified large growth funds when the benchmark's largest holdings perform poorly. But hurts, of course, when the biggest stocks do well, as they did for many years before 2022. All right, so let's move on to some lessons for investors. But first, we'll give a bit of a recap of the active-passive barometer report because the context is important. So Morningstar publishes this report. It's the Active Passive Barometer Report. It's published twice a year. This report spans nearly 4,400 unique funds that account for approximately $16 trillion in assets. The purpose of this research is to give investors a useful measuring stick to help them calibrate the odds of succeeding with active funds in different categories. It measures the performance of U.S. active funds against passive peers in their respective Morningstar categories. Although this report focuses on funds, the same concept applies to any collective investment vehicle with a professional manager. So in other words, ETFs. Although this is a US-based study, at a high level, US and Australian fund managers largely face the same challenges and operate in very similar ways. 
Apart from local markets, both US and Australian fund managers would have the same coverage universe for other sectors and markets. Funds where active managers perform better than passive peers included international funds. The majority, 61% of active foreign funds, outperform their average passive peer. Then we have 73% of active real estate funds beating their active passive peer during 2020. And we've seen a trend of active mid and small cap funds succeeding more often than active large cap managers. There's a reason for this. All these sectors have something in common, and that is that they're not as well researched or as well covered as the sectors where passive tended to do better. Ultimately, it's correlated to how efficient the underlying market is. And the degree of efficiency relates to how much the prices in that market reflect the underlying valuation. Markets tend to be more efficient when there's widespread investor interest and coverage of that market. This is where we see this research intersect and the performance of the large growth active managers studied in the big shortcoming report. All right, a few lessons. The research shows that you do not need to sit in either the active or passive camp. Passive funds may suit well-researched markets that are efficient. Where active managers can add value are in broad and varied markets. Markets where there may be inefficiencies that create opportunities. There are also places where active managers can add value based on what you're trying to achieve. The concentration risk that the large companies in Australian and U.S. indexes brings may not suit your risk and return profile. Low volatility, income-focused, or real return managers may be able to suit the goals of your portfolio. And both reports stress the importance of keeping fees low. Active managers can add value in the right places in your portfolio but ensure it is at the right price. The Active Passive Barometer report explores this in detail. It slices the coverage universe into fee quintiles to highlight the difference that fees make. When they look into 10-year success rates of funds, that's how many active funds beat passive counterparts, in every single category, the lowest cost quintile beat the highest cost quintile when looking at average success. More expensive fees do not equate to better quality or more skill. And if you can't get enough, the big shortcoming report is available on Morningstar Investor. And it also goes further into depth about the impact of fund manager performance on flows, if that is something that you're interested in. Do you think there's many people interested in that? I think that the internet is crashing now with people rushing (laughs) to their computers. But thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate it. We would love any ratings or comments in your podcast app. And of course, you can send me an email if you have questions or show requests. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.